Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome to the fourth and final installment of our special series that we're doing from the Convergence Conference. We are replaying four of the keynote sessions that we uh, got to experience here in Oklahoma City at the Convergence Conference. This was a special conference on the convergence of the Word and Spirit, and particularly looking at God the Healer. We've already heard from Sam Storms, Michael Brown, Andrew Wilson, and today we're going to be hearing from Matt Chandler. He's from uh, Texas at the Village Church, and uh, he came up and shared an amazing message with us that I truly hope will um, encourage you, especially in the midst of suffering. He shares his personal testimony and um, some really powerful gospel moments about how the Father sees us even as we suffer and as we go through hard times. So I hope this is a really uplifting and beneficial time for you. Um, So we hope you enjoy Matt Chandler um, from his lesson at the Convergence Conference. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Hebrews 4. I'm going to say something about the book, Sam. Okay. I'm going I, to. I, was thought, I thought you were going to give it to me. I will totally give you this book. All right, book. good. I'll take it. All right. I've got to give this to Sam. I'll talk about it here in a minute. I'm going to obey all the rules. Um, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4. Okay. I think I'm on my own now. Hey, as a, as a preacher, let me tell you how difficult it is when the four guys that go before you have a combined 170 points around healing. Um, So, I mean, session one, I was just like, well, there's point two, go ahead and cross that out. I'll just mention Mike Brown's talk. And then Andrew, and I'm like, well, there's point one. And then Sam has got 40 points already this week. And and so much of what I will cover will be what's already covered. Uh, And yet, as a preacher, there are these moments when um, you, you're, it's before you preach and you can just feel uh, a sense of God's pleasure and power and you just know that he's going to be at work. And then other times what happens is you have not really told anyone what you're speaking on completely. Uh, and yet every song, every testimony, every word kind of lines up with where you're going. And it's like this, uh, this kind of gift from the Heavenly Father that says, I, I got you, son, go get it. And so I feel a little bit like that tonight um, because the, the premise, what, what I'm hoping to convince you of is something I, I think you probably already kind of believe, and I want to show you that your kinda is inadequate for what we want in our lives and what we want to see God do uh, around us. And this isn't some form of legalism or try harderness. If you know me, I, I can't preach that, Right. Uh, and so let me, let me just, so I'm not leaving you in suspense. Uh, the question is, how important is it to learn to suffer well? How important is it for us to kind of frame up suffering in a way that we can understand it at some level and deal with it? And, and so here, let me cut to the chase. Very, it's very, very important. Now, I, I don't know how well you know the men and women that have touched this stage already, but, but I hope it has not escaped It has not escaped your attention that all of us have had seasons and moments, and many of us extended seasons, of really horrific suffering in our lives. Moments when the floor dropped out from underneath us, moments where our theology was tested, moments where uh, we had to throw ourselves on the mercy and grace of God and pray that great benediction in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep me. And so it's very important. Now, I want to read this. And I think for me, that the reason I'm so eager to spend time with you tonight is because the enemy loves to harass us when we're suffering. The, the voice of the enemy is never so loud as in the dark night of the soul. 
the accusations of the enemy, the tricks of the enemy. His desire to drag down and destroy are never so high-pitched as when we're suffering, especially if that suffering lasts a little bit longer than we think it should. And, and I think anybody that suffered has had that moment. You're like, okay, I got it, Lord. And apparently you don't. Anyone? Like, you're like, I think I got it. Okay, yeah, you're God. I'm not. Got it. Okay, let's move on. And the Lord's like, well, I mean, a little bit more. I got a little bit more for you. And, and so it, it's kind of this discombobulating time where the lies of the enemy that we would spot if we were healthy start to sound right. And so that bothers me. Like I just get so angry at the enemy in those moments. I, I am first and foremost uh, a pastor, so I'm not going to be quoting my verses in Hebrew uh, or anything like that. I mean, I, I think some pastors can do that, Mike. I just think most can't, um, and, and I'm one of those. So I will be reading from the book of Hebrews, but will not be speaking it in Hebrew. So uh, I, I want to read this passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to get to um, this book. Um, Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. By the way, I love the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is just, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Je you think that's awesome? Jesus is better. You think that's unbelievable? Jesus is better. You got your mind captivated by Moses? Whatever, Jesus is better. And, and so I love the book of Hebrews for the exaltation of Jesus Christ as the supreme object of our affections and the reasons why that should be true. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews starts out with, you think angels are awesome? I mean, you think angels are amazing? I mean, if, you, you, if you've read your Bible and you see angels fall and people fall on the ground like dead men, or you, you've read Daniel and you've heard of this scrum between the princes of Persia and Michael who showed up and wrecked shop, and you're like, angels are amazing. And the writer of Hebrews goes, no, 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 they're, they're not. Jesus is amazing. And sometimes at a funeral, uh, well-meaning people are like, he's an angel in glory now. And you should just never say that because the angels wish they were us, right? Their servants were sons. You tracking with me? Like, it's not us who's like, oh, what would it be like to be an angel? No, no, no. The angels are like, what would it be like to be a son, to be a daughter, to have his affections like that? And so the writer of Hebrews goes, yeah, angels are incredible. And they do a great deal of the Lord's bidding. But Jesus is better. And they get to Moses and listen, as far as supernatural, what was that goes, does it get bigger than Moses? Right? If you're like, Jesus, that's a Sunday school answer because yeah, you're right. You can always guess Jesus and kind to be right. But if you read Exodus, I mean, wasn't it like every day Moses was doing something new that blew everybody's mind? And by the way, despite all the miraculous, Hubach couldn't convince them to stay faithful. Is that too soon? Do I need to wait and drop that one a little bit later in the night? Okay. And, and so then we, we get to Hebrews 4. So he's saying, hey, he's better than, he's better than, he's greater than, he's more beautiful than, he's more spectacular than, he's more amazing than. And then here's what we read. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Uh, I became the pastor of the Village Church uh, in 2003. By 2005, uh, the average age of uh, a man or woman at the Village Church was about 25 or 26. And normally, when that's the age of your church, you're doing a lot of weddings and not a lot of funerals. And, and yet, for some reason, and I, and I see Michael Bleeker in it, man, I just got friends in here, they were, they were with me in this. 2005, 2006 was this year where babies wouldn't stop dying and cancer wouldn't stop coming and these random accidents weren't taking from us fathers with newborn babies who had just been married two years and the sheer volume 
of little tiny coffins that Michael sang over and I tried to preach hope into people and were overwhelming. And I learned in that season, there was this one specific moment where we went to the hospital and a woman named Dottie Pons was there. She was the grandmother. Um, and and she, uh, I walked in and she just crumbled. This seven-year-old just crumbled into my chest and just heaved, sobbed as her grandbaby were born with these birth defects that would completely rearrange that baby's life, maybe have that baby's life be gone. And yet here's another baby on the cusp of dying. And, and she just didn't get it. She didn't understand it. Nobody else seemed to get it or understand it. And so I, I wanted to begin to try to enter the space of kind of setting up a framework for how we thought about and considered suffering. So there were these two, um, these two kind of, I would call them great errors uh, that, that I kept seeing uh, around me with people uh, predominantly that had grown up in church, right? I mean, we had people coming to know Jesus Christ, but we had a massive influx of young, professional, young, single, college age kind of church kids that, that had kind of followed me and Michael from other ministry things that we had been doing. And that kind of kick-started the size growth of the Village Church. And this book, uh, I, I wanted to write this book with the stories that they lived through. And, and so although my story is in here, it simply frames the stories of men and women who lost their spouse, who lost their children, who, who uh, had to deal with suicide, who walked through depression, who grew up in abusive homes, who found their way. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to honor the men and women who suffered well, were a picture that Jesus is better, and, and write a book that I didn't write. And so Joy in the Sorrows is the story of these eight or nine other men and women at the Village Church that endured these extreme seasons of suffering and found Jesus to be enough in the midst of it. They did not lose hope. They clung to his promises. They, they faithfully prayed and cried out and fasted and sought his face. And I wanted to honor him with joy in the sorrows. And so that's what that book was. But in those early days, we saw these two kind of great heirs. And I've just learned to kind of describe them like this. There was this over-realized eschatology that was ever present. And let me try to explain that. Andrew did just such a great job talking about what our inheritance was going to be, looking at revelation and, and what's coming for us. And it really is, if you ever spent any time studying what's on its way for us, it is unbelievable. So I'll highlight some. Some of these uh, Andrew did, but some of them. Uh, in Isaiah 35, it says, the desert shall blossom like the rose. So, so when you and I, we think about deserts, we don't think about roses, right? We think about a wasteland. We think about uh, weird creatures, right? We, we think about things like that. And, and yet the Bible says, no, no, no. When I reset this, the deserts, they're going to be filled with fragrant roses. In Amos, it says the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the mountains will drop with sweet wine. Right? Like I'm a mountain guy. I love the mountains, love getting up into the mountains, but the mountains don't produce a lot of sweet wine. They're jagged. They're, there's a lot of snow if you get to the right size mountain and you're not looking up there going, I'm going to put some crops up there. Right? Like that's awe-inspiring. That's pretty amazing, but there's not a lot we can do with it except gaze on and go, isn't God mighty? And, and, and the Bible's going, Isaiah in particular, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, when all things are made new, when the work of God is consummated, some of the best wine Baptists have never drank are going to run down that. And listen, I love you, Baptists. You're just leaving more for us, so I appreciate you in that. And Andrew said it, bread, wine, and oil, right? Bread, wine, and oil, and bourbon. But I, I have to, that's Hebrew. It's in there here. Where is that in Hebrew? Ah, brown drink. I think there's strong drink. Strong drink. There we go. Uh, in Isaiah 65, we, we learn that there will be no more sounds of weeping heard on the earth, that the days of God's people shall be like the days of the tree, and on earth the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. They'll eat together. Now, I always like to make the joke here that the, the wolf and the lamb, they eat together now, but the lamb doesn't really enjoy his part in that, that kind of of interaction. We see in Isaiah 11 that no one will hurt or destroy anything in God's, in God's entire holy mountain. And this will be true as you heard today, because evil will be vanquished to the lake of fire. And you know, Habakkuk 2, 14, goodness, most of us are charismatics, right? The, the earth will be filled with a knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea. So I don't know the last time you were out on the seas, but there's water everywhere. 
right? And so the, the immensity of God's power, his might, his beauty will be seen. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, and this goes to Andrew's sermon today, is by uh, Augustine, not Augustine. Or like Augustine's a grass, I think, right? Augustine is this. He, he's looking out, northern Africa, looking out at the Mediterranean and says, if these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? I, I wish sometimes I could say, I said that. My quotes are never, never eloquent like that. And, and this is what we've got coming for us, right? The, the, like we're a day closer than we were when we woke up. We're, we're inching closer to this being our reality. And then uh, as Andrew covered, I told you I'm going to have to say this a lot tonight, resurrected bodies. Like, I, I don't know how old you are, but that is sounding more and more, more and more exciting to me uh, as I get older. Lauren and I celebrated 20 years of marriage this summer. We flew up uh, outside of Vancouver to celebrate on this little island called Sonora. They had that, like a, the non-pillow pillow. Anybody ever experienced this at a hotel? It's, the non, it's like a pillow, but, but it's not because you, it doesn't do anything. Uh, and so I had a non-pillow pillow. pillow. Uh, 20 years of marriage, me and my bride, none of our selfish children around us, just us. And I woke up day one with just the worst, most horrific crick in my neck, sleeping. And then I don't know, like, I don't know if you've been up there, but like the stuff that you do is hiking or whale watching or sit. Have you ever like, look, a whale. And you're like, <laughs> so when I read this and I'm like, new body. Yes, please. I'll take that. And then I love this one. <clears throat> we get the unfettered presence of God. And what's great about this is if you got everything else and you didn't get that, the rest of it wouldn't be worth it. Like if you got that, you know, just this cosmic body with galaxies for hair and six pack abs and, and never cried and never died and you didn't get God, you lost. And if you got a remade earth that was so stunning that the most beautiful, amazing, spectacular things you've ever seen in your life, you would see anew and go, oh yeah, that was decaying. And you didn't have him, they'd be ugly. They would not be able to stir your affections to where your affections were meant to be stirred. That is ingratitude for a creator God that created such beauty for his glory and your joy. And, and so what I found in our congregation is that there were those that wanted to argue because Christ had died and he had risen that all of our inheritance was ready now and so that everyone should be freed because Christ had died for our sins and therefore everyone would be healed. And that if they weren't healed, then the problem more than likely was faith and that they lacked faith. And, and I don't know, in my 20-something years of pastoral ministry, I've never seen anything as destructive on a person's hope as that lie. Right? The reason you're not healed is you're not believing hard enough. Right? That's an over-realized eschatology. Will I be healed? Absolutely. Do I know if that's going to be from this cancer or this or that? No, no I don't. No, no, I don't. And, and just because Jesus has died and resurrected has only guaranteed me that one day I will. And so that's an over-realized eschatology. It's that I've got all of those things now, and let me tell you, if this is my resurrected body, I'm frustrated. <laughs> right? And, and if this, this is a remade heaven and earth, I was just in Midland, Texas. <laughs> and the deserts are not producing flowers and roses. But there was also, God help us, an underrealized eschatology. The speed at which Christians move to God is punishing me, God has forgotten about me, God does not delight in me, still makes my head spin. There was a lot of that in those days. Or, or when we would pray for people, there was always the guy there with the caveat trying to make it safer in case God didn't. Have you met him yet? I don't know if you've met him, but you're praying and then like there's some people with a lot of faith there and they're like, you know, they're like doing it, man. Like, you know, when somebody's doing it, right? And it's not formulaic or not, but they're like talking to the disease. And man, if you got Baptist roots, you're so confused. You know, I'm just saying this because I'm Baptist, right? I'm not dogging on, I still am one, right? It's not like I was and now I'm not, I am. Just got just more Bapticostal. And, and, and we would have like somebody being like, cancer in the name of Jesus. We just pray you out right now. You have no place in this body. And then you'd have the guy just well-meaning, 
loves you. And he would try to correct that theology while they, they were praying for healing. It's like, Father, I don't know what all you've heard. <laughs> but if it be your will, and if you would, in your kindness, if this wasn't for their good, for their teaching, for a lesson that they might need to learn, would you maybe heal this disease? Amen. They wouldn't squeeze the hand and let anybody else go. Like they just shut the thing down, right? Just this caveat. It's, it's a safe prayer. It's an under-realized eschatology. It lacks expectancy. It lacks belief and covers the lack of belief and expectancy with theology. Uses theology to self-protect to try to protect God as though he was like, oh no, what's gonna happen if I don't, right? It's just like the, the triune God's never been in a panic about what we're in a panic about. It's an underrealized eschatology. And so uh, what I wanted to do is try to step into these two heirs and shape the life of our church around what I perceived to be at the time, a correct understanding of the brokenness in the world. And I wanted to do it in uh, three ways. And here was the, the first one. And if you followed my ministry, you can kind of see these seasons that I got in, right? Uh, and here was the first one. I wanted to root our people in the gospel. I just wanted to root our people in the gospel. Right, like that book he explained, that, that was that season. And, and I wanted to root him in the gospel because if you'll actually believe the gospel, then it's not hard to believe that God will heal you. Right? I mean, if God, knowing all of your sins, past, present, and future, came and died to call you into his glory, and he decided all that before time began, while you were at your worst, not when you cleaned yourself up, God said, that one. By the way, do you know you sang that earlier? I don't even know if you, you're like, you, you don't even have to be a Calvinist, but you just sang like one. All right? Sorry, Mike. And, and, and in, I know you chose to sing that, but God preordained that we, anyway, anyway. The, uh, I've got to calm down because I want to get to ministry time. Um, like, I just wanted us to get how on, I want to, like in our guts, that God was for us, that he loved us, that he delighted in us. And so this gospel renewal in my own life uh, really was jump-started or was sparked uh, by the birth of our first child, Audrey. Um, uh, Audrey and I have a real special relationship. Uh, we're, we're probably the most alike, so pray for Lauren. Uh, but, but what the Lord was doing in my life because of my background, because of my own demons, because of my own need for inner healing, was he was often whispering to me about his love for me as I felt uh, most euphoric about my love for her. And, and so I remember bringing her home. And, and I don't know how many of you have brought babies home, but they are worthless, selfless, I mean, selfish, greedy, impatient monsters. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Right? Any of you ever have a baby go, you know what, finish that call and then get to my wet diaper. <laughs> no, it's now, 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 me, 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 me. And I was crazy about this little girl. I mean, gosh, I need sleep. Right? I know, I mean, they're, I just meet these guys out there and they're like, I sleep two hours a night because I'm up you know, fasting and praying and reading 17 books and Mike just puts a book on him and absorbs it. it. It's this, right? It's this kind of weird, I am not that brother. I need a good eight and a half, sometimes nine to not be in my flesh, to walk in the power of the ghost. And this little girl came into our house and she stole that from me. And yet, no matter how late it got, no matter how tired I got, no matter how frustrated I got, I would have died for that little girl and I would have physically harmed anyone who tried to harm her. And man, the Lord was always just like, yeah, like that. <laughs> like that, Matt. And so it, it kind of came to this kind of apex moment for me when uh, Audrey learned to walk. I've told this story for years because it was so profound for me. I mean, literally something broke off of me the day Audrey learned to walk. So Audrey, um, I've gotta be careful because she's older now. She's gonna watch she's like, dad. So she was born, she's beautiful now. But, but when she was born, she had a, she had a giant head <laughs> and, and a tiny little body. 
Literally, she had this, she's like a, like a toothpick jammed into an orange, and that was my daughter. And, and so, um, what, you know this if you've got a kid. Um, a kid doesn't go from just laying there doing nothing to walking. There's this kind of progression that takes place. And so Audrey was making the progression, and she, um, she kind of pulled herself up onto the coffee table, and she's kind of doing the bounce thing, and her giant head's kind of flopping around. And, and, and then she would let go, and then, I mean, we were all praying, God, don't let it snap her body in half. And, you know, she's, and then one day she literally let it go, and the, the giant head fell forward. Now, if you're a science person, Here's where science takes over. Here's where physics get involved. Her giant head began to pull on her body. And she had two choices, right? Stick out my foot or die. And and so Audrey stuck out her foot. And now physics teachers, you got momentum. So she step, step, step and fell on the ground. And Lauren and I lost our minds. Like you would have thought that, that she just ran a 4240 and got a scholarship offer, right? I mean, we freaked out. And in reality, it was a controlled fall. And we told everyone we knew that our baby was walking. Now, now but here's what happened to me that day. Step, step, fall. Pride rejoicing, celebrating, telling everybody about, like crazy giddy. And the Lord was like, yeah, like that. Step, step, fall. And I rejoice. You didn't run over there and go, you an idiot? You serious, Audrey? (laughs) Two steps? Like, are you not watching us? Like I didn't turn to Lauren and like, this is on you, baby, because everyone in my family, we're walks. We, we walk. So I don't know what kind of generational sin you guys, but this is not me. This is not us. No, we were just celebrating. And what we did, and you know this, you've done this. We picked her up and we set her and we wanted to see it again. Right? I mean, she's like got a bruise. You're like, come on, come on. And she would, whoa, bam, we'd like, whoa. And we'd pick her back up and set her. And, and the Lord's like, like that. I love you like that. I rejoice over you like that. I don't see you falling. I see you walking. And that broke something because I just couldn't believe it. I knew it, but I couldn't believe it. Like I got it. I got the verses. I know he loves me. He loves me. He loves me, but not like that. Surely he sees my falls. Surely when I blow it, surely when I screw up, he's dead. Surely he loves some future version of me. But not this, not the one that can only take three steps before his fat head makes him fall on the ground. And on that day, the spirit of the living God said, no, exactly like that. So I just wanted to kind of root us in the gospel. It's like every sermon was on the gospel. I just kept bringing it back to the gospel, kept preaching the gospel. I kept pointing out the fact this is what the apostle Paul does. Why is the apostle Paul always preaching the gospel to Christians? You ever thought about that? Like I think every Pauline epistle but 2 Corinthians has a gospel proclamation for Christians. You believe it, now don't forget it. Because we're prone to forget it. We're prone to walk away. We're, turn, we're prone to turn our backs on it and try to earn what was freely given. God help us. We're convinced that what God loves is a 4240 sprinter. But no, his affections were set before we could crawl. And then Audrey would mispronounce a word and, and it didn't frustrate us. It, it, we thought it was cute. Like, God bless the girl. She couldn't say hospital, she kept saying hostable. Hostable. Right? And she didn't get in trouble for that. And I was like, gosh, are you dumb? No, she, she was just working it out. And I was her daddy, and I loved watching her work it out. And I liked coming alongside her and like, hospital, hostable. <laughs> no. <laughs> hospital, hostable. Okay. No. But, but there, wasn't, there wasn't like a turn where I'm like, who are you going to get it? Like, I just kept. I'm walking beside her. We're learning how to ride a bike. We're learning how to brush hair. We're learning how to, we're doing it together. And I was just trying to, I was learning that myself as I was, I was parenting my firstborn and the Lord was showing me, I'm like that. I'm like that. And so I was trying to convince the imaginations of the men and women of the village church that the gospel was true and that all of their sins, past, present, and future were fully, freely, and forever forgiven on the cross. Right? Like, you know this, right? Like, like, God's not looking at you now with regret. Like, do you get that? 
like I say this all the time at the village, he knew what he was buying on the cross. He know, he's not looking at you now wanting a mulligan. It's not like it's now it's up close to him. And he's like, well, now that it's 2019, totally regret preordaining before time began this one. Right? Wish I could go back and redo spirit. Well, we can't do that. Okay, never mind. I guess he's in. That, that's not what's happened here. No, the gospel saves us. It sets us. It keeps us. We keep coming back to it over and over and over again. And I wanted to, I wanted to root that in the hearts of our people. And then I wanted to be really honest uh, about suffering. Uh, like I didn't want to hide suffering as we came across it in the Bible. Like the fact that Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness with grumbling, complaining people uh, because church folk were different back then. <laughs> Only to not get to go into the promised land. Like, if you ever get to the end of Exodus and go, what? Like, Moses up on the mountain, like the clouds part, and like, there it is. It's amazing. You don't get to go. Joshua's taking him in. Like, I was, like, I cannot believe anyone joined our church in this season of the village. I was highlighting that, uh, highlighting Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah totally thought the Lord tricked him and duped him. All right, so think about it. I, I don't, I haven't, I've yet to meet a man that wouldn't say yes to God's invitation to Jeremiah, right? If you go where I tell you to go and you say what I tell you to say, I'll give you the power to build up nations and destroy them. Like, I just haven't met too many guys like, you know, I just want to teach Sunday school. And, and so he says yes, and then every time he does it, he like gets beat up, he gets thrown in a ditch, and the book ends with him going into exile with everybody else. Have you ever thought about that? Like Jeremiah has this real, like this moment, he gets beat up, thrown in a ditch, and he says to the Lord, you seduced me. The Hebrew word's patah, you took advantage of me. I just wanted to highlight that. Like who highlights that? I wanted to highlight it. And then uh, David, like David just belonged on the Jerry Springer show. Like for all of the beautiful things on the ascent that we can say about David, man, his home life was a disaster. It was a disaster. And I, I just want to say, hey, look, this is in the Bible. Like his, his son is leading a rebellion against him. That's in the Bible. Right? Like David's adultery is probably more than adultery. Are you tracking with me? It's not just, it's probably far worse than adultery. That, that's in the Bible. The sword will never leave your house, David, is in the Bible. And then the, the one that always kind of, I just kind of just rocked me was um, John the Baptist. In fact, this text was read earlier today. John the Baptist is in prison because of a, a stripper and um, he, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And so they, he sends a runner. He's like, go, hey, go ask Jesus. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Because I just feel like I shouldn't be in here. I feel like if he's the one, like this isn't, I, I just feel like, and so the runner comes up and is like, hey, uh, we're from John the Baptist, yeah. Are you the one or should I expect, or should he expect someone else? And then here's, here's what Jesus does. Jesus heals everybody. That was the text, right? He's like, everybody get healed. And then he said, go tell John what you just saw. And then he starts to quote Isaiah the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the poor are being ministered to, and he leaves off and the prisoners will go free. Right? So the runner comes back, he's like, okay, John, um, can't, you're not gonna believe what we just saw. All right, it's all true. Like the, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the poor are being ministered to. And you can almost get like John the Baptist, like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then, is that all? Yeah, that's all he said. Well, no, no, no. No, they're, like, there's the, like the prisoners go free, right? The prisoners go free. He's like, Dave, did he say that? No, Dave's not a real Hebrew name, but did he say that? Yeah, no, no, he didn't say that. Sorry, he, he didn't say that. And then this real crazy way, Jesus is like, I am the one and you're gonna die in prison. And so again, I, like, I just couldn't believe anybody joined our church in that season. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to do, uh, there were three things I wanted to do in this season, is I wanted to highlight the weakness of Satan by showing that his activities ultimately serve the purpose of God. So, so I love this, like how powerful as God that the schemes of his enemy serve his purposes, right? So the devil's like, I'm going to get him. And he's like, okay, get, get him. <laughs> Glory. 
All right, so let me, let me show you this. Um, Luke 22, 31 through 32. I'm gonna read this in the ESV, but we need to talk about it, Sam. Verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, demanded is a little strong here in the Greek. In fact, the ESV is the only Bible that actually, that actually takes that Greek word and makes it demanded. So um, maybe the, all the rest of them are wrong. The NSA, that New American Standard translated like this. I love this, demanded permission. How do you demand permission? I demand permission. <laughs> what? Right, in fact, the NIV just says, he asked. Right, right. The idea is that, that Satan is constrained by some things. So Satan comes and is like, hey, I'd like to sift Peter like wheat. And I, I was like, this conversation always fascinates me because I just feel like if, if Jesus said to me, hey, Matt, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, I'd be like, what did you say? Because <laughs> Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Wouldn't it be better just go, can you, can you call him back to say no? You just say, no, you can't. And then uh, Job uh, 1, 8 through 12. Again, I think you, you'll know so much of this. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. So, so here, like God says to Satan, have you considered Job? And Satan's response is, you serious? Like you got a hedge, we can't get anywhere near him. Like you got a hedge all the way around him. You've blessed the work of his hands. What do you mean consider Job? And if Job knew this conversation, he's like, just don't worry about me. Just keep looking around uh, the earth. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be, but, but Satan's got this, hey, we can't get to him. Of course he praises you. And then there's this crazy kind of accusation that he makes in verse 11, the accuser does, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hands, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. Um, it, there is a kind of propaganda about dualism that exists in our modern world. And, and so I, I've, I've said it like this uh, a lot in my time at the village. If you're ever watching a scary movie and a priest shows up, you, you just know like it's a bit actor and that guy's about to die. Right? Like every time the priest shows up to cast out the demon, everybody just knows this dude's about to get lit up. He's about to get thrown out a window. This girl's going to crawl up the wall, bite his head off, head spin around, pea soup spit out. Like you just know it's going to go bad for the brother. But what you see in the scriptures is nothing like that. Like we've, we've talked about, so like Jesus has never gotten an argument with a de demonic being. Just never ask anything. In fact, when they see him, oftentimes like, oh no, hey, hey, you're here before the time. Have you come to destroy us early? Please don't. Like that's, that's not dualism, right? It's not, Jesus like, hey, get out. Well, not yet. This guy's giving us some rights. This is Jesus going, get out, and it gets out. So that what it, what it appears in the scriptures is as Satan kind of tries to attack and, and tries to harm and tries to manipulate, God does something with the work of his enemy, kind of like judo. I don't, I don't know if anybody does judo, but in judo, you use the force of your opponent uh, against them. And as Satan works and tries to move, oftentimes he just accomplishes the purposes of God. How frustrating to be Satan and try to destroy only to serve the one true God of glory. So this is what I was trying to do, right? And so you can go, yeah, it is a kind of a miracle of grace that your church grew at all. And so what was trying to do these things. And then on Thanksgiving Day, um, 2009, uh, I woke up. Uh, Lauren was uh, cooking 
and the dinner we were going to have, uh, dinner with my in-laws, uh, who just live uh, a couple of miles from us at that time, not even that. Um, and Lauren was cooking, and she asked me to feed Nora, who, who was probably six months old at the time. Uh, and so I, I fed Nora her bottle, uh, burped her, got away clean, all right? Like, she didn't get me nothing. And then I put her in her Johnny Jump Up in the door frame uh, uh, that, I don't know if you know what that is, like a spring action. I wish they made them for adults. And she was kind of in there <laughs> jumping. And then I turned to go back to my chair. And the next thing I know, I woke up in the hospital. Uh, I have no recollection of what happened between now, that moment and me arriving in the hospital, uh, other than then my wife told me that she heard a large bang. Uh, she heard uh, the fireplace tools rattling and she was waiting to hear me say, it will be all right to one of our children. And Audrey, all three of my children in the room, Audrey just said, hey, mom. And, and she came in, I was having a grand mal seizure on the middle of our floor. And so uh, Lauren got the kids out of there, called 911, turned me on my side and, and the paramedics showed up. Uh, I was taken to the hospital. I, I woke up, I'd bitten through my tongue. I'd woke up, they had already done a CT scan. Uh, and, and my first kind of memory uh, was of um, the doctor scooting up a stool next to me and saying, hey, there, there's, a, there's a shadow in your right frontal lobe. We're going to do an MRI. Uh, and so we did an MRI, and then he came back and he sat next to me and said, yeah, you, ha you have a tumor in your right frontal lobe, uh, and we're going to need to get you to a, a surgeon uh, pretty quickly. And, and to be completely honest, uh, the floor didn't fall out. I wasn't like, oh, God, what is happening? Why are you doing this to me? I just wanted to go home. Uh, I had had a grand mal seizure in front of my kids. Uh, they hadn't seen me all day. Thanksgiving was gone. I just wanted to go home. And so they finally released us. Uh, I got home and, and a very well-meaning member of our church, still at our church. In fact, I had a meeting uh, with his son right before I came here uh, on Wednesday. And, and he came to the house and he reads scans. And so he pulled up his computer and he opened it up and he said, oh, this looks like an encapsulated glioma. Chances are they're going to give you some medicine and you're just going to watch it. Uh, and so we we're like, great. And so that, that actually kind of stirred up what Lauren and I's experience with the Lord has been, that, that, that Jesus, he just always let what we do turn to gold and everything always went best case scenario. And that, that had just been the story of our lives to that point. And so we had kind of just settled in our heart. That's what's going to happen. And then on Tuesday, uh, we went and saw uh, Dr. Barnett in Dallas and he is a surgeon there in Dallas, godly man. It turned into uh, a friend. And, and so Lauren and I are both going in, going, we're going to get some medicine and we're going to be sent home. Uh, and he turns on his computer and the scan looks completely different. There's colors, there's other things on there. And, and he says uh, to me, yeah, th this looks bad. Um, uh, we're going to need to do surgery quick. In fact, I've made a space for you Friday. And, and then he began to explain to me the, the functions of the right frontal lobe. So he's like the right, right frontal lobe, it's the silent hemisphere. You do uh, spatial reasoning there. Uh, and then I thought, oh my gosh, all I can do is spatial reasoning. I, I have no other skill but spatial reasoning. <laughs> so really, can it not be something, can, can we take something else if push comes to shove? Spatial reasoning is looking at an idea like this, filing it into coherent thoughts and communicating it. It's like, that's, that's all I got, doc. You take something else, right? I'll deal with something else, but that, I, I don't know what I'm going to do if spatial reasoning is gone. And then he kind of goes through these other things that could happen and that they know everything about the brain and nothing about the brain at the same time. Uh, and then to try to encourage me, he told me a story of a man who was my age that lived 10 years. That's an odd kind of encouragement to give a 38-year-old, isn't it? Or a 35-year-old. Yeah, thank you, babe. Math. See? Spatial reasoning, not math. Um, so right, like, hey, cheer up. I had a guy live 10 years. So immediately in my head, I went, oh my God, Nora will be 10. Reed will be 13. Audrey will be 16. And the floor fell out. And man, I couldn't talk. So I tried, tried to call my best friend. I mean, we, we're leading a church. I'm trying to tell my parents what's going on. I'm trying to tell people at the church what's going on. I mean, I can't get the words out of my mouth. And everything was lost. No matter where I looked, all I could see was loss. So I, I got home and 
there are my kids, and I'd see my daughters and think, I'm not going to get to walk them down the aisle. And I'd see Reed, and I'd think, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to be there to help him become the, the man that I want him to become. And I'd see Lauren, and I'd think, some other piece of... <laughs> and I just, everything I saw was just loss, and so I just put on headphones, and I stayed in our bedroom and worshiped until Lauren was like, hey, don't know what's happening, but we're not going out like that. You take those headphones out and you get back out here with us. And, and so I took out my headphones and got out there, you know, because that's what you do, right? And uh, so that Friday, uh, we went in. And here's what's crazy. Thursday night, everybody came to my house. We worshiped. We prayed. I have no memory of that night. I can watch myself on video, and it's the weirdest thing because I, I don't remember any of that happening. I can see the video of my daughter sitting on my lap and, and hands being laid on me and praying. And it only occurred to me that happened years after the surgery when Michael Bleeker was giving a testimony and talking about that night. And I looked over to my wife and I was like, that didn't happen. She's like, are you serious? I was like, yes. She's like, we've got video, Matt. I was like, okay, oh my God. So eight hour craniotomy. And, and this is me uh, after the eight hours. This is me. There's Michael and Josh Patterson, just some good friends. They, this is like 11, 12 o'clock at night. Surgery got started late. Uh, they didn't finish late. Uh, and then here, let me show you what they took out of me and that'll help you understand me. Uh, so this is a cross section of the top of my brain. The black spot is what's missing from my right frontal lobe even now. And this is the depth uh, of that surgery in the next picture. So, so this is that, that black is what they cut out. So they were very aggressive, uh, came out of that uh, to the joy of finding out that, that even though they had done that, I probably had two to three years to live and was gonna need to do 18 months of high-dose chemotherapy. Uh, and so we jumped in to radiation and we started uh, to do the rounds of chemo. Um, and I, I, I got really, really discombobulated, man. And I wanted to be strong and I wanted to be brave and I wanted to suffer well, but I was pissed. It was Christmas time. It snowed in Dallas that year, like snowed. Right? And I know you're from Michigan. You're like, no, it didn't. But no, like it, it stuck on the ground. Like you could make stuff with it. So I'm in my house, just been released from rehab. And I can't go outside and play with my kids in the snow. And I'm, I go to our Christmas Eve service and I'm like, is this my, is this my last Christmas? And, and then there were these Christmas cards uh, all over uh, our house. Like, I don't know when it started. I don't remember it growing up, but now everybody's like, here's what I want to get you for Christmas, a picture of us. <laughs> Merry Incarnation Day, right? And, and so here's, uh, so we had these pictures of everybody all over uh, our house. And I, and I sat down on our couch and, and, and everybody's kind of doing things that I want to be doing, but I just cannot do. And Lauren's so gracious, but she can feel it. She can feel this void and she's trying to step into it. And um, man, I look and I see the picture of, of a, a, a family that was a part of our church. And this brother was a serial adulterer. He was a narcissist, just abusive to his beautiful children. And I thought to myself, me? Freaking me? And I just had it out with the Lord on the, the couch. And, and man, just, and I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest about what was going on in me. I know some of you probably thought I just kind of floated around with the, the Holy Spirit and shot videos that were like, God's going to get it. Uh, but I was furious and, and just unleashed it on the Lord. And then in probably other than my salvation, one of the most merciful moments of my life, it was just like he sat on the couch next to me and pulled me into himself. And I felt ugly. I felt like he just revealed some things in me that I had no idea were in there. I began to feel his nearness. I began to feel his kindness. And about three or four months later, laying on the bathroom floor in the middle of a round of chemo, I was reminded of a prophetic word I was given in October before I had the seizure about what God was going to do in my life that I had misinterpreted at the time to be tied to a, a reorg at the village church, but actually had to do with cancer. And then I began to just believe and know that God was going to heal me. And I began to say out loud that I believed that God was going to heal me. And then that didn't go over well with people. Like people thought I was crazy for saying that. And so my sweet bride, one of her friends was in one of the stores around and, and there were these women in there just talking about how crazy I was, how I was going to bring shame on the name of Jesus when I finally died. 
And, and then these kinds, of, uh, these kinds of old kind of patterns of thinking started rearing their heads all over the place. I had a well-meaning young man. I was sitting uh, up front on, on, on our services, and he walked up, and he just said, hey, my uncle said um, that, that, man, if you won't just say right now that you know 100% that Jesus is going to heal you, that I just need to say goodbye to you and begin to pray for you because you weren't, right? And then I was like, well, I've got, I've got, I think I've got a word for your uncle. I didn't say that. I, I just listened. It's not his fault. And, and, then, and then people would, well-meaning, godly people would, would come and, and they would pray over me with no boldness and no expectation. Like, let me tell you, when you're the one being prayed over, me, let, let me just make it me. When I was being prayed over, I didn't want your caveats. I didn't want you to protect God. I wanted you to believe with me. Because believing for me was a fight. Like, I just can't tell you how often I would say, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. I can't tell you how many nights I'm laying in bed going, I want to believe. I'm struggling to believe. Help my unbelief. And what I needed around me was not those who were hoping, but those who would believe with me. And, and pray with boldness and expectancy. And I promise you, there would be nothing in me. It was like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I was doing crazy stuff. Like people were sending me prayer blankets from all over the world. I'd get under that prayer. I wouldn't even fall. I'd just get under that blanket and be like, all of it on me. All of it. Don't want one prayer that was on this thing. To, I, want all, I mean, I was just wrapping those blankets on me. I'm like a crazy person. Somebody sent me like a Jesus doll, like a creepy blow-up Jesus doll. Didn't they, baby? If that was you, thank you. I'm not dog. It was creepy, right? It was, it was a creepy Jesus doll. And man, I was like cuddling with that Jesus doll. I was like, I didn't even know how it worked. But I was like, whatever they prayed over this Jesus doll, I receive in your name. I needed people who would believe. Let me tell you where I landed, and then I, wanna, I want us to ask the Spirit to do some things. Um, that, I, I love this. It's just such a poignant moment for me. It's, it's how I've learned to think about healing ministry. It's how I want you to think about healing ministry. Uh, and if I'm wrong, one of these brothers will graciously let me know backstage later tonight. They're, like Daniel and, and uh, the, the guys, they fascinate me. Like, how in the world do you take teenage boys and drop them into exile and have them be as faithful as they were? Good Lord, I mean, how, I mean, you want to talk about low expectations for our teenagers, right? Like, how, what in the world happened with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That his teen boys are like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. So there's this moment, you know the moment, uh, Nebuchadnezzar really liked himself. Um, he, he had set up this, this kind of, everybody's got to worship this, or I'm going to kill you. And, and there's just no way Daniel and the guys are doing it, right? There's no way. Like, you know it. You, you know it. We're only in Daniel 3, and you know it. And so they don't. And this really frustrates Nebuchadnezzar. And then we pick it up in verse 16. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this were so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, so what I've tried to train our people to think and believe in suffering and sickness is he can, he will and even if he doesn't. So that I'm going to hold all this tension like this. God can heal me. That's a no-brainer. Are you kidding me? Everything that exists, he just spoke into being. This is a pretty small deal. Like how small is brain cancer to God? It just makes the whole universe do whatever he wants without doing anything but doing that. Knows everything at a macro level. Knows everything at a micro level. Knows everything everywhere. And like, like how easy is brain cancer? He can. 
and, and he will. It, that's already, I don't need to spend time on that. We've covered that. He, he wants, he wills. And then there's mystery. But even if he doesn't, I'm getting, he- I'm getting healed. Even if it does, oh King Nebuchadnezzar, Satan, you don't get to smile. I get to smile. Amen. So that this then lets us boldly pray with great expectations, with open-handed gladness that God is God and we are not. So as I've sat here, as we've heard the messages, as we've done ministry, let me, let me tell you a, a sense that I'm getting. I wonder how much is being blocked of our experience of the power of God because ultimately, down deep, like in our guts, we still really don't believe that he loves us and likes us right now. We believe the lie that he loves some future version of us, but we cannot believe that he loves us right now. There's this thing in our life, there's this thing in our past, there's this thing that we struggle with, and we, God help us, have convinced ourselves, once we get mastery over that, once we fix that, once we get that handled, then finally, the love of the Father, we might get a shot at experiencing. Can I just lovingly tell you that Christ came to set you free from that nonsense? Can I just lovingly tell you that, that you have all of his affections right now, Christian? You have all of his affection right now, all of his delight right now. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to grow you in some areas. I'm not saying he doesn't want to rebuke you in some areas. I'm not saying he doesn't want to correct you in some areas. But you have a father that loves you. And if, as we've covered, some of that rebuke and discipline is painful, you got to know that it's happening as a father that loves his children. So I'll, I'll end with this, and then I, wanna, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to do some things. Um, <clears throat> Lauren and I were heading out to Possum Kingdom Lake in Texas. It's a lot lovelier than it sounds. I don't know who was on the committee, uh, like, right? Who didn't go? Dave. Possum Kingdom. But we were heading out there, and we're in the car, and Audrey's in her car seat, and uh, my mother-in-law, who's a beautiful, godly woman, um, comes in, and, and Audrey must have got bit by a spider or something. She had a little bump uh, on her leg, and, and Mimi is what she's called. She, she looks in, and she's like, oh, gosh, that looks like a boil, Matt. They might have to lance that. What? Like, once a kid leaves your house for a decade or so, apparently you don't remember what it was like. So for the next two hours... My daughter's like, what does Lancet mean? 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 I don't want them to Lancet. Dad, I don't want them to Lancet. Dad, I don't want them to Lancet. What does Lancet mean? I don't want them. I don't want anybody to touch it. I don't want, right? And I'm just like, me, me. So I'm like trying to turn up the music to drown her out. And uh, so we get to... um, we get to Possum Kingdom. We go to the hospital there uh, in Graham, and, and we, we take Audrey back. And I mean, she's just letting everybody know nobody's lancing this. <laughs> I'm just, oh, okay, check in, lady. Y'all aren't lancing this. Oh, hey, nurse, sure, take my blood pressure. Just let everybody, y'all ain't touching that. All right? And, and so then this poor young resident, God bless him. I mean, he looked like he's Doogie Howser, right? He looked like he was 19 years old. He walks in and, and he looks at her leg. And he's like, yeah, that's a boil. I, I think we're just going to have to lance it. And, and Audrey freaks out and has out of nowhere, the power of 10,000 oxen. And, and so um, the nurses are coming in. We're trying to explain to her, no, 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 they're going to they're gonna deaden it. You're not going to feel anything. And, and listen, six-year-old, powerful baby children will not listen to reason. Uh, and so they've got nurses trying to, and she's like, throwing people around the room. And, and so I have to get on the bed and I have to take my forearm and I have to pin her to the bed. She's just crying. It's huge. She's just looking at me like I'm just betraying her. And, and that every bit of nighttime cuddles and prayer, every date that we had been on, every word I'd ever spoken to her was a lie. And she's screaming, Daddy. And I'm having to pin her to that table while the doctor lances open that leg and cleans out 
the, the poison that would ultimately have cost her her leg. And could it be in this season of your life, it's not a furrowed, browed, angry father, but maybe one that's just staring right into your eyes, tears streaming down his face going, I know. He's an empathetic high priest. And even if you're perplexed right now, that is not taking you out of the realm of God's delight. I'll prove it to you. Um, the Apostle Paul. We just agree. I mean, he's up there. In, in Holy Spirit power, in effectiveness of ministry. And can we just say Paul was on to something? Right? And, and yet Paul says, was perplexed, but not crushed. So if the guy that's been to the third heaven could go, I don't get it. Then, then might it be all right for you and me to go, no, man, I don't get it, but not be crushed? All right, here's what I want to do. Why don't you bow your heads? Here's what I want us to do. Just your head bowed, your eyes closed. Is that moment where you, you get to be honest with the Lord. You don't, you're not going to be honest with me. The reality is, I mean, I, I know some of you in this room because you're at uh, the church with me, but, but most of you, I, I mean, I just don't know who you are. I, I'll, I'll probably see you in glory, but more than likely won't see you uh, again this side of it, maybe, but probably not. And I'm just wondering if you just take a second and take stock in what's going on in your heart What's going on in your spirit? If you would say, man, if I'm really honest, I, I so want to believe that he loves me, delights in me, and cherishes me like you're saying. But man, I, I can't buy it, man. I, man, the home I grew up in, the pain I have endured, the length of this trial. I want it, Matt, but I just, I don't think I got it in me, man. I, I am stuck right now. I feel forgotten. I feel abandoned. I feel like Jeremiah, that he tricked me. And I've put up the good fight, and I've used the right words, and I've said the right sentences, but if I'm honest, when you said you were pissed, that's the, that's the most real thing that's resonated with me since I walked in these doors. Anger because I've felt betrayed and I have felt forgotten and I have felt deceived by God. I don't want to feel that way. I want to believe. I want to have my soul open to his love. I want to remember what it's like to feel cherished and seen by him. If that's you in the room right now, will you do me a favor? Will you just stand up where you are? You just be bold. You just stand up right where you are. You don't need to be ashamed You'd be anxious about this. This is our shot to say, you already know, this is me. Yeah, praise God. I feel looked over. I feel forgotten. Hey, praise God. Thank you. So, so brave. Okay, now I want you to look up at me. Look up at me real quick. Okay, just for a second. How crazy is it? that God sent me here to say this so that you could feel seen again. You standing up right now is God saying, I have not forgotten you. I do see you. I am with you. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to pray over you and alongside of you. Because listen to me, I, 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 can, I have been there. This isn't for me like something I read in Keller's suffering book. All right? I'm not cherry picking Romans 8.28 here. I'm telling you, I was on my couch and filled with rage at God, who I felt abandoned me and deceived me and was ungrateful for all I had done for him. And he met me there with mercy. Like, what a stupid accusation to make against the king of glory. And he responded with mercy? And so here, brother, sister, he sees you. You have not been forgotten. You have not been abandoned. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to cup your hands in front of you. Just cup them, hold them out like that. And brothers and sisters, you're sitting around these. I want you to just get your hands on them. Go ahead, get your hands on them. And then this is what I want us to do. <clears throat> We're going to pray for these brothers and sisters together 
out loud that they would experience the love of God in Christ right now, that they would feel it wash over their bodies, that they would feel a sense of his presence, that they would see the tears in his eyes, that they would see uh, his love for them. And so we're going to fill this room with the, the sound of our prayers for our brothers and sisters asking that love would break through, that remembrance would be given, and that they would feel seen and known and loved and not forgotten. You pray, pray now out loud, fill this room with our prayers for our brothers and sisters. Yes, Lord, give us faith. Right now, wash over us warm water on souls. Your affection, your love, your delight, your singing, they have no secrets. They have no secrets that you don't know about, nothing hidden in their lives that you have not seen, and yet you meet them tonight with your grace, you meet them tonight with your compassion, you meet them tonight with your delight. Help their souls believe it. In the name of Jesus, help their souls believe it. And pray that in their chest and in their stomach and at the top of their heads, they would begin to feel your presence, your delight. I pray laughter and joy overtake them. Pray gladness mark them moving forward. Thank you that they cannot outsend the cross of Christ. Would you be gracious tonight, Holy Spirit? to be kind tonight to these. Just remind them what's true about them. As David prayed, would you break the jaw of the enemy tonight, the lies that are being whispered over them, the lies that are being spoken into their hearts. We just rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus Christ and ask Spirit of the living God, would you establish truth, establish truth, establish truth in their hearts. You are making all things new. Let it start tonight with a fresh understanding of your affection, a silencing of the enemy, and a return of gladness into our souls. There's a kind of joy that transcends circumstances, and I ask that that be poured out on my brothers and sisters here. We're going to pray and ask that those circumstances change in just a moment. We're going to pray that, that things are, are banished and broken and, and released and let loose and, and broken off and healed outright. But for now, just give us gladness in you. Let us feel your gaze upon us. Let's get a sense of your delight. It would drive out shame. Give us faith. Give us faith, give us faith, give us faith, give us faith to believe these things are true. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.